This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Reading from Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, it's a good morning when you get to have Ralph Fondell read the scripture and then get to follow that. So thank you, Ralph. Here comes the king. Uh, Good morning. My name is Mike Alberts. Uh, I work on the staff here with the high schoolers and the young adults. Um, And as I was studying this and looking at all the different accounts, uh, there's a lot of Excitement, and there's a lot of expectation around when the king would come. And so we're going to look at that this morning. What did it mean for the king to come into Jerusalem? And it, it reminds me of some different times in my life when I've had high or low expectations. In the summer of 2000, it was our first summer in Alaska, and I went uh, fishing on the, on the Kenai. And I had grown a little bitter. I love fishing. I, I grew up, if my dad told me there were fish in a mud puddle, I would be the first one there with a the rod. Even though there was nothing there, I would fish and fish and fish. He told me they were there, I would keep fishing. Uh, but he also took me steelheading in the state of Washington. And I started to believe they were more like Sasquatch than actual real creatures. We would fish in 32 and a half degree rain for 8, 10, 12 hours, and I would never catch a thing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even ever see one. He would hook them. And I think he was trying to go for the lightest line records because they would always break off. And maybe it was this old line. So my expectations going to the Kenai, my friend said, oh, they're like the, you know, reds are like the size of steelhead. So I was like, okay, do they even exist, number one? And secondly, I'll just use this light line leader thing I've always used. And so my wife and I are flipping and not catching a thing. And then all of a sudden, I hook this missile and... It burns my thumb on, from my line flying out, and then it breaks off, and my heart's fluttering, and I was like, wow. 
that's amazing, you know? And so I had low expectations, and then God awakened this joy of mine of fishing, and it was just, that was just a fun moment. I've also had some high expectations that didn't deliver. Uh, when I was a ninth grader, um, I decided to wrestle. My dad was a very good wrestler. Uh, he wrestled in college, and you know what? I was rather portly at the time, short, stout, and uh, we had trained for four weeks, and then the first match came, and I knew one move. And I think all my teammates let me put this move on them, like, you know, I, I don't know, like I was wrestling, you know, a stuffed animal or something. So I go out there, ready to wrestle, and this guy rips my head off. <laughs> I thought that, man, I know my move. I put my teammates on the ground. And uh, anyway, my expectation was so high, but the reality was that, man, there's a huge gap between what was real and uh, what, I, what I thought would happen. When I think when we look at the triumphal entry, uh, we see that Jesus is coming. And let me grab some slides for you here. I have a map. That shows he's coming from Bethphage on the right there you can see, uh, near the Mount of, Mount of Olives, and then they'll enter into Jerusalem, go past the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we get, we get characters here that Jesus sends ahead his disciples to go get the, the, colt, the donkey and the foal of a colt, and that's to fulfill a prophecy um, from Zechariah. 9, 9, and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a, on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So some people greet Jesus like a king. So some of the expectations that as, as he was coming into Jerusalem, there was a huge gap for Israelites. Um, the gap existed between what they thought their story would be were God's people and what was happening. They were under the rule of Rome. If you're God's people, you should, you're, you're thinking in your head, we should be under no one's rule. Uh, we're, we're meant to be top, top dog. So there's a big gap between the ideal and the real. I can relate to that. A lot of life, there's a gap between what I think should be and what really happens. And it's very discouraging to deal with that. The second thing is that the promise of the Messiah is very real, and it was known. So there was increased expectation and anticipation that God would deliver. Messiah will come, and he's going to come from Nazareth. He's going to come riding on a, on a donkey. Because of the occupation of Rome and others before, deliverance as a nation was likely the highest expectation. They're, they're thinking national. Uh, they're thinking empire. If God's going to save, this is what it's going to mean, that he's going to save our empire. So what, what happens? Some, some greet Jesus like he is the king. There's palm branches that are uh, waved, and that's, that's a sign. That's part of Rome. Rome gave palm fronds to victors. That was part of victory. So when they greeted Jesus, they were saying, in, in kind of in a military sense, Victory is coming. And so some people were buying into that. So the anticipation and expectation was getting really high for who he was. And we see that Jesus fulfills that prophecy uh, that I read earlier. And the people shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest. And as, as Tyler shared with us this morning, Hosanna was an exclamation that meant something like, save now. God, save us. Save now. And it also became a, uh, an exclamation of praise. So over time, and we sing that in praise songs all the time, but in the literal sense, it began to mean, save now. One of the observations uh, in Luke, the Luke account, we see that Jesus says, don't stop them. You know, he's, he's questioned by religious leaders, like, hush them up. And he's like, you know, I can't stop them. If they stop, the stones are going to cry out. This is real. Uh, and Jesus receives this praise and this call from, from those that were gathered. So we see that that's part of the account, that Jesus does not stop this from happening. If he wasn't Messiah and he was godly, he would, would have stopped them in a moment. But this was part of him declaring, okay, it's, it's time. I am revealing myself as Messiah. And the people were stirred. So those that probably didn't gather to, to lay down the palm branches, but the people in the city were stirred to say, well, then who is this? And they say, this, this man, this is the prophet uh, from Nazareth. Well, I want to focus a little bit as we look at this message on expectations and what God did. Um, there's two things from the, the Zechariah passage in 9, 9, and 10. It's a see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. So I want to look at righteous and I want to look at salvation. I think that that really helps to set the stage for why Jesus fulfilled what he fulfilled at that time and why he left things unfulfilled until a future time. So the first, we get righteous. Uh, righteous means blameless, innocent, just, man that the righteous, one in the right, right, righteous, righteous man. I guess I didn't really proofread that very well. If you know what righteous means, you're doing very well with this definition. But really, there's a sense of being right with God, completely right with God in Jesus' case. There's no fault in him at all completely right with God, filled with righteousness and rightness. The other word is salvation. And in our class, the Compass class that we had Wednesday night, we took a look at salvation, and I I shared my particular uh, way of understanding it that I enjoy. And so this is a little sliver of that. Uh, I've taken this from a theologian named Earl Rodmacher. Uh, I really like the way Earl explains salvation. And... um, one of the words that helped us form the idea of salvation is the Hebrew word yesa. They meant to move from restriction toward open, wide, and roomy. So there's a sense of something restricted, trapped, and moving toward open, wide, and roomy. That, that, that's one of the threads of salvation. Uh, there's another sense where there, we see salvation translated with shalom. So the Hebrew idea of wholeness, fullness, full peace, health, that salvation included this wholeness. And then we also have deliverance as part of salvation. And we, we, there's many words that make up the idea of salvation. So when, when we're seeing the king come, he's righteous and he's bringing salvation. Well, let's, let's take a look. What was our peril? So if we were restricted, if we build off that idea that we were in restriction and we needed to be moved into openness, what were those things that were, that were restricting us? And the very first thing is 
Humanity has a broken relationship with God. When Adam and Eve sinned, humanity fell, and we suffered separation from God collectively and individually. So at that, so when Adam and Eve sinned, once what was whole was then broken. We had a broken relationship with God. All of humanity did. Collectively, but then me. I have a broken relationship. So do you. We all inherit that. Uh, and God, re- his justness requires payment for the penalty of sin. And so then there's a, the problem of this penalty of sin. That there must be uh, rightness added to the equation. And so there's a broken relationship with God. We were once in relationship, and now we're broken. The next is broken humanity and broken creation. So the fall changed us to be marred by sin. We were made in God's image, and we still are made in God's image, but we are less than how he created us because of sin. When sin entered our story, it's like something marred a table that was beautiful, deeper than you could sand out. Uh, it marked us. It changed part of our humanity. And we're less than what we used to be. So we're, we're a broken humanity. And creation was broken too. It was subjected to brokenness. And so as I, every year, plant my garden and my weeds grow prolifically and nothing else does, uh, I wonder, I see brokenness. Um, we see brokenness in creation all around us. And we also see in Scripture that God cares about all his creation, and he's doing something about it. But we, we are, the power of sin has mastery over the fallen, and the wages a lifelong war against us. So we have, we're broken in our humanity, and then there's the power of sin in that brokenness. It's like a lifelong war against believers, and if you're not a believer, you're a slave to that power. Believers still suffer against the power of sin at work in my brokenness. We still struggle against that. We're broken people in broken cultures in a broken creation. And we see brokenness everywhere. Loss. Things that we don't like. The gap between the ideal and the real, that's because of brokenness. We weren't meant for death. Uh, my wife and I were just talking. I think last time I spoke, I mentioned my father-in-law passed away in the fall. And I am just slowly now starting to feel the effects of that. Like, I miss him. We weren't made for that. We weren't made for separation. There's brokenness in our story. But it doesn't end there. And we're not the center of the story. God is revealing who he is. And he is going to make things right. So the last part of salvation, uh, the, the last part of our restriction is this presence of sin, this brokenness, can only be removed by God renewing his creation. So we're, we're pretty stuck. We are really boxed in. And it, it's not good. It's really not good. It's, it's bad news. But there's great, good news. So I wanted to say, also, I'm learning to be a little bit more image-oriented uh, because I have a very artsy daughter and so there's some images. I, I, I search for some things like trapped, um, broken. And there's some terrible images that, frankly, if, if we were all adults in the audience here and we were in conversation, they would be great to show. Because our, our brokenness is very real. How trapped and restricted we are is very dire. 
But I thought this was an interesting one, that the dancer with, who can't really dance. Uh, there's the shackles on the feet. Behind bars, someone crying out, help me, someone's stuck. I thought of slavery. I looked up images of that. This was an actual illustration of uh, slave transport. Um, and you can see that subs, subsection of the ship is where they packed in the slaves for transport. And what it what must have felt like to be in that uh, restriction to cross the ocean uh, really, really would be difficult. So then on the other side, uh, what does it mean to move toward openness, to have shackles removed uh, and set free? Picture of a slave being set free. What joy it would be to be mastered over and then set free. If you've ever been in a cave, and, sh- and we did this as an exercise, we went to the end of a cave, it was about a mile back in central Oregon, and then we shut off our flashlights, and it was so dark back there, and creepy, <laughs> awful, <laughs> and the sense that, wow, we are so far back from anything good, and I could be trapped down here. You know, my, my dial started to really engage, and... Um, but then to see light, then we turned on our flashlights and to see light, light and darkness. Oh, it was just beautiful. But even a way out of a cave, how, how grateful that would be to emerge from a cave. Just an image. So one of the things that I, I wanted to highlight, um, that with these expectations that, that the Jewish people had, I mean, I, I would have been right there with them. So it's really easy for me to pick on, oh, they were looking for the war hero, and Jesus brought something else. But you know what? I do the same thing. I I think the Jews were very concerned about the empire of of Judaism, our kingdom, when really, and they weren't as interested in the kingdom of God. And I I could be right there with them. Uh, And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit. So we have this idea that Jesus brought, he was the righteous one who brought salvation. He's going to deal with our brokenness on a whole level. He is going to bring, he's righteous so he can give salvation. Uh, the righteous one, Romans 3 says, righteousness is a gift, it's not a standard. So Jesus, he was righteous, but it wasn't the standard everyone has to live up to. It was a gift to receive. So Jesus was bringing the gift of righteousness, and he's also going to bring salvation on all the levels that I just shared. There's the penalty of sin, that broken relationship with God. People could enter into relationship with him right away. That is paid for in an event. There's a moment where you trust God, and that relationship is restored. But then the wage of war, the power of sin against us, that is lifelong. And he's continually wanting to save us. He wants, he wants peace for us. In the Luke account, he wept over Jerusalem. He says, even you, if you knew today what would bring you real peace, but now it's going to be hidden from your eyes. He wanted them to have peace and fullness. That's what he wants. But he didn't force it on them. They didn't get it. Part of it was they were more interested in the empire 
than being a part of the kingdom of God. So that's, that's a warning for me, and it's a warning for you. We're a lot more like the Jews in the Bible than we think we are. They, they do well, they fall away, they struggle, they get restricted, people invade, they cry out to God, and he comes back. You know, that happens all over Old Testament, in the New Testament. Um, we could just easily get off course. So how do we orient our lives to the coming king? The, the first thing is to give him first place in your heart. This goes directly back to Todd's message last week. This is worship. Giving God first place in my heart. This is a heart posture. There's lots of things I love, and there's been plenty of times in my life when I've wanted to gain life where it cannot be found. There's a Henry Nouwen quote that I really hit me hard. There, I'm the, the prodigal son every time I look for unconditional love where it cannot be found. I take fishing, try to squeeze some life out of it. It can't give. God is the giver of life. It, this is a heart posture. Put him first, and then I open my hand, and he gives me things like fishing, family, mountains. You might like fast cars or whatever it might be. Uh, those are all gifts that he gives, but there's not life in them. There's no life in any of that. So worship is our first order of business. How do I put him first in my heart? It's also a pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit. It's not a resume. Uh, putting God first, I don't get to say, well, hey, I, I put you first 364 days last year. So today I get the pass. It's a lifelong daily choice to put him first. You're first, Lord. Come as my king in my life. Be my king. This, this is also openness to learn, to grow, and to walk and become. That's part of the call of being a Christian. It's discipleship. It's the highest calling any of us have is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to become like him. It's higher than any profession, doctor, pastor, missionary. To be like Jesus is the highest. And he wants that for each of us. It's a lifelong pursuit. Am I open to learn, grow, walk, and become? Saying yes in the little things. This is one of my phrases I love is letting the dog off the leash. (laughs) In worship time, am I more concerned what others think, or do I really want to give God my heart expression? So let your dog off the leash every once in a while. We're pretty stoic in our congregation. That's okay. That's, a lot of us are Northern European descent, and we're pretty stoic people. Uh, but there's also, we're emotive people. We're made human. Emotions are good. So let's let our emotions show in life and in who we are when we worship God. Uh, The next thing that I thought was very pertinent is to investigate my expectations on God. John the Baptist in Luke, he had expectations. He sent two disciples back to Jesus and said, you know, are you the one who's to come or should we be looking for somebody else? This is Jesus' cousin. He's been proclaiming the kingdom, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he sent two disciples back to Jesus. Are you really the one? Because it's not lining up with what I'm expecting. And Jesus replied to him. He replied to the two disciples John sent. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. 
Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. That is fulfilling what Jesus, when he took the scroll of Isaiah and, and Luke 4, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, set the captives free, uh, all these things. And even in that, he has anointed me. That is, that is a proclamation. Messiah means anointed one. Messiah was to do these things. And Jesus was doing these things. Uh, the leper had just been cured. And that's when the disciples of John were sent back. This is what I'm doing. You know, blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. So Jesus was restoring. If we look at that restriction and that brokenness, he was doing something about it right there. He was healing what was broken. He would provide the sacrifice to heal our relationship with God. But he was also healing broken creation. So, if you're like me, I put some expectations on how my life should be and what Jesus should do about it. Let's investigate those things. Let's open ourselves. And I, I think really what I need to do is to seek first God's kingdom. You know, I, I put expectations, but really the way I could steer around that is to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Not my empire. <laughs> I have empires that I really like. <laughs> my ministry. Uh, let's, yeah, let's think about some of the empires in Christianity. There's ministries. Uh, there's different denominations. And there's different theology camps in, in Protestant Christianity. We have all these things. That are, in some ways, there are many empires Part of what makes them an empire is we care more about that product than we care about the kingdom. That's when we get into trouble, when we have our little mini empires. So to seek first the kingdom is to let go of these things being the most important. They're good, but let's seek first God and his kingdom. Let's let go of our, our things that divide. And this is a good covenant thing, but I'm not saying we're the best. But typically, there's, place, there's a place for people to disagree about those things in covenant churches and not divide over it. But we need to have conversation. We need to have humility. Uh, so let's, let, let's investigate our empires. Our empires are just a shadow of God's fullness of his kingdom. Let's be renewed and bring about renewal. So in closing, as, as the king came, he came to bring righteousness as a gift. See, your king comes to you righteous and bringing salvation. He came to bring righteousness as a gift, not as a standard. So receive that gift. Wear it. And over time, you'll also become more righteous as you walk with the Lord. The second thing is we move toward a kingdom lifestyle. Is he wants, uh, he's moving us from restriction to wide and roomy. All that is broken in my life will someday be made whole. That helps me make sense of life's journey. That I, I'm saved from the penalty of sin, and he is saving me right now from the power of sin at work. All around us. Doesn't mean I do not struggle. It still means there's gaps. Jesus did not restore the empire at that time. <laughs> Jerusalem went under siege. The temple was destroyed later after this. He, he's going to use pain to bring me back to him. He's okay with my pain. 
and he's okay with yours. That gap of reality, he uses that for me to come back to him. It really is a gift. It helps me see, okay, life is broken. Would you save me, Lord, from what is happening? And then one day, he will bring wholeness. Our king came, brought salvation, and he wants us to walk in that and bring about healing in his people and in, I believe in creation. I, I got a little bit of a green Christian in me. <laughs> I, I believe that he loves all of his creation. He loves all that he loves. And he wants us to be a part of bringing wholeness to what he has made. So let me pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we proclaim you as king. For some of us, we need to reach out and grab hold of life. We have a broken relationship with you. Jesus, you came to give all that we need for that. We thank you for that this morning. And then for some of us who are your children who believe, we need to set aside our small thinking, our expectations that we put on you. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. God, help us to put you first in our hearts and then walk in the ways that you want us to walk in this world. Thank you for each person in our church. Would you move us toward a place that represents your heart? In Jesus' name, amen.